0: Thank you for joining us as we continue our journey through the Word of God. And today we're going to continue our journey through 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And today we're going to be starting at verse 7 and moving through to the end of the chapter. This is an interesting portion of 1 Corinthians where Paul is really starting to rebuke the church in Corinth for why they're having all these disputes. And it really is peeling back the layers of the onion that they had surrounded themselves with about really not seeing who they really were. And so he starts off in verse 7, he says, For who makes you differ from another? What do you have that you did not receive? Now if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? This incredibly puffed up state of the Corinthian Christians meant that there was this huge pride problem because they thought they were so much more spiritual than they really were. And the pride was evident to everybody else around them except for them, which is exactly the same as it is for us. And Paul addresses their proud hearts with three questions. What makes you differ from from somebody else, from another? If there is a difference between us, it's because of what God has done in us. So there's no reason for pride because it's not you. It's what Jesus has done in you. What do you have that you did not receive? Everything that you have and everything you and I have comes from God. So how can we be proud of anything that we have if it all comes from God? Why do you glory as if you had not received it? If If what you have spiritually is a gift from God, why do you glory in it as if you did it yourself? There's no reason in having a pride like that. And these questions that the Apostle Paul is starting to ask the church in Corinth should prompt other questions in their heart and in your heart and my heart. Do I truly give God the credit for my salvation 100%? Do I truly live with a humble spirit of gratitude for everything that God has given me? Do I see that what I have is received from God? And then do I say thank you? See, the, the, these are the the postures that we're supposed to take as Christ followers. So then Paul, after asking them these questions, launches yet again into a sarcastic rebuke of them. This was obviously a language that need, that was needed by Paul to be effective in communicating with the church in Corinth. He says, you're already full. So he's remember, he's asked them questions. Now he's going to sarcastically answer them. You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonoured. To the present hour we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. So, paraphrase. Paul saying, "Well, you Corinthians, you've just got it all and you are amazing. Uh, isn't it amazing that us apostles have nothing and we are so useless and yet look at you, you're incredible." And it's very strong sarcasm. And his purpose is not to make fun of them. He wants to shake them out of their pride. He was laughing at them with holy laughter, G. Campbell Morgan says, yet with utter contempt for what they had been doing. I mean, um, he, he, he really was so frustrated with them, but he needed to shock them somehow. He talks about what God has displayed in us instead of being full and rich and reigning as royalty, the apostles were on display as some kind of humiliating spectacle to the world. The Corinthian churches looked at themselves incredibly highly. But it seems that God has displayed the apostles incredibly lowly. And the image that we read about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, is either from the parade of a, this is the image, of a conquering Roman general where he displays his armies first, then he displays the spoils, and then at the end of the procession, he displays the defeated captives who would be condemned to die in the arena. Which is why, uh, just before going to the arena, gladiators would say, Morituri Salutamus. We who, do li- who die salute you. So Paul now salutes the Corinthian Christians. Because the word that he used for this, the word spectacle is the word theatron, which is where we get our word theater from. When Paul says we have been made a theatron to the world, he speaks of how the apostles were publicly humiliated. That kind of humiliation was the greatest horror to the pride of the Corinthian churches. See, they had two problems, the church in Corinth. They were proud of their own spirituality, and they were embarrassed by Paul because of his weakness and his humble state. Why? Because he worked for a living. He was a tent maker. How dare you call yourself a man of God, but you go and work and have a job? Paul's trying to address both these problems. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you're wise in Christ. So again, Paul's here contrasting sarcastically how foolish it is for the Corinthians to think that they are more spiritually privileged, blessed than the apostles actually were. He says, listen, we both hunger and thirst. Paul's description of his ministry focuses on the deprivation, the humiliation These are things that the church in Corinth wanted to avoid at all costs. I don't want to be humiliated for the things of Christ. I don't want to be deprived of anything, if if that's what being a Christ follower is all about. This is the Apostle Paul trying to teach the church in Corinth what it means to live like a Christ follower. Guzik says this, Today, The church is heavy with the same attitude of the Corinthian Christians. They were concerned about the image of worldly success and power, and many of them despised Paul and the other other apostles because they didn't display that image. See, the Corinthian church uh, displayed a great love for worldly wisdom, which came from Greek philosophy. And Greek philosophy of that time was that manual labor was something that only slaves did. It would offend them that an apostle, somebody over them, spiritually, would actually go and work with his own hands to make a living. This is what they they couldn't wrap their heads around. So then he says, being defamed, we entreat. What does that mean? Paul's saying that when they were slandered, the apostles would reach out in kindness to the person who spoke against them. Well, that was also offensive to Greek philosophy. They thought you were a, uh, that you were weak if you didn't fight back when somebody slandered you. Paul says, No, that's not how we work. And then he talks about this, the off the off-scouring of all things. Some ancient Greeks had a custom of casting worthless people into the sea at certain times of a plague or a famine. And they would say, be our offscoring. The, the victims were the, the scrapings of society in the belief that somehow they would wipe away the community's guilt for whatever was going on. And Paul had some kind of double meaning involved here when he used the words filth and offscoring. He, he may mean that he is both despised and the sacrifice on their behalf. That could be the point he's trying to make. Paul was somebody who had bounced around from church to church. He'd been run out of towns. He'd been accused of starting riots. He was supported by no ministry, so he had to support himself. He was arrested. He was imprisoned several times. Who would want to hire him? The, the, the reality for us, is the reflection for us, is that we so often want a middle road. Uh, particularly when it comes to people who are pastors, people in ministry. We, we want them to have a little bit of popularity. We want them to have a little bit of a reputation, but we still want them to have the anointing of God. But we want them to have the power without the cost. And Paul's saying, listen, I'm a steward and a servant. And you've got to stop applying your Greek philosophy to how God uses me as an apostle in your life, and how you're meant to actually behave and live your life. So then he's about to issue a warning and a challenge to them in verse 14. I do not write these things to shame you. Now he's just sarcastically just ripped them to pieces. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. He knew that with his sarcastic writing, that they would be ashamed by what he said. But he wants them to understand that he's not trying to make them feel ashamed, but to warn them of the huge danger, which is spiritual pride. And he says, listen, you might have a whole lot of people who are instructors, 10,000 instructors. The the word that's used there is the word "paidagogoi," paidagogoi, And it means a slave guide. Who would escort people, places, and supervise their general conduct. The instructor, Guzik says, did not have legitimate authority, sorry, did have legitimate authority, but certainly not like a father. Paul had a unique place of authority and leadership among the Corinthian Christians, not only because he fathered the church in Corinth, I have begotten you through the gospel, but also because of his apostolic authority, which is why he then goes on and says, so I urge you, imitate me. Which would have actually been something that would have blown them away. What do you mean, imitate you? You're regarded as a a, a fool. You're weak. You're dishonorable. You're hungry. You're thirsty. You're poorly clothed. You're homeless. You're beaten. You work hard to support yourself with manual labor. People look at you and see filth. And you want us to imitate you? And Paul could say, yes, as he later on did in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me. Not because of all these difficulties, but because of them. Imitate me. Because in them, the glory and power of Jesus Christ shines through me. Which is why he then goes on in 1 Corinthians 11 to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ Christ. Most Christians don't are scared stiff to say, imitate me. They're like, oh no, don't imitate me. Don't imitate me. You should look to Jesus. Well, if it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, then people should be able to imitate you and me because we should be looking more like Jesus. And if you're not looking more like Jesus, then you need to stop whatever you're doing and start looking more like Jesus so that people can imitate you. And stop using that as an excuse to not tell people to imitate you. You're like, oh, well, I'll just keep I'll, I'll just keep living in my sinful life and then I don't have to tell people to imitate me. So Paul says, I've sent Timothy, my chief troubleshooter, <laughs> who was sent to the problem churches, solved the problems. And he says, how do you want me to come to you as I send Timothy? This is how he ends chapter four. Now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know. Not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and with a spirit of gentleness? Some of the uh, Corinthian Christians were so arrogant that they thought well, Paul was afraid to visit them. And it made them more prideful. If they were like, yeah, he's, he's scared of us. It is not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. The people in the Corinthian church who loved their successful image had their own word. But Paul had the true power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the final test of wisdom is power. The word of the cross not only has the power to shine a light on truth, but also to morally save people. Paul says, oh, I'm going to come and Pop your bubble. That's what I'm going to come and do. How do you want me to do it? So he leaves the ball in their court. Which Paul do you want to turn up? The one with the rod of correction used by shepherds to smack sheep that went the wrong way? Or Paul with the spirit of gentleness? He wanted to come in gentleness, but he was going to leave the decision up to the Corinthian Christians. Guzik says this in conclusion. In this section of the letter, Paul faced some of the real challenges of ministry. How to confront sin without being too harsh or implying that you are above sin. How to get people to conform their lives to the gospel when they think too highly of themselves. This is tough work to do in a heart and only a great work by the Holy Spirit can accomplish it. So, observations for for today. uh For me, obviously, I look through a bit of a different lens as a pastor because I know what it's like to not be respected by people who think that they are more spiritually mature than they really are. You might have a different lens. So I'd love to know what you think and what you observe out of this. Please put what you observe uh, in the comments below. I know for me as a pastor, I want people to have the best, be the best, pursue the best. But I also know that pride stops most Christians from actually living in their calling. I would say most Christians don't live in their calling at all. They live in a constant state of trying to learn and trying to get better and trying to understand more, but actually doing anything? No, they don't do anything. No, they, they do hardly anything. They think leading a life group or leading a small group is doing, which is great. I'm not discounting that. But I think that God's calling on most people's lives is a lot more than just that. I think that's a great thing to do and it shows leadership within the church. Then I think there's all these other little things, but I think the calling on people's lives is not lived out because of pride. And, and that pride is one of two things. Oh, well, uh, I'm above that or I'm below that. They're probably, well, I could never do that. So you see yourself through your own lens instead of through the lens of Jesus Christ as more than a conqueror. Or you think you're so much more than a conqueror that you don't need God anymore. And that you don't even need to do the things of God. Well, Why does God need my help? If he's God, he can do it himself. See, let's just live in the calling God has for us. Can we do that? Heavenly Father, thank you. I pray, Lord, that this, these challenges would shake us, cause us to think twice about what it is you've called us to do and how are we doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.